0: Hey everybody, it's good to be back. Uh, we got a really exciting episode for you guys today. I gotta say, the weather outside has been so beautiful. Uh, I've been playing a ton of StarCraft, grinding a lot, um, and I've just been riding my bike uh, when I'm not playing, because we don't really have that much work right now, at least from when this recording, this part of the recording is being made. So it's been great. I've been getting on my bike, getting some sun. Uh, They got all these cool little bike paths around Seoul. Apparently Korea is one of the best places to own a bike. Uh, you can bike all the way from Pusan to Seoul, which I hope I can do one day. But uh, it's been cool to be outside. I've been grinding in StarCraft. I don't know how to beat Terran. I don't know why this always happens to me. I can be good at only two matchups. You ever have that? I've always been terrible at PVZ, for example. <laughs> yeah, you just, there's always a race that like you just can't beat. And I think Protoss is supposed to always be able to beat Terran. That's supposed to be kind of an easier matchup. But I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm like so lost right now. I, I, I've been trying to modernize my play. And because, you know, my, my wrists are finally working, but all the stuff I'm using is from, like, 2011 or something like that. And yeah, that'll happen. I no, I guess, like, two, I'm probably even older than that. I guess 2009. So, anyways, I've been trying to brush up and, and improve. Um, before we start this episode, guys, uh, if you can, please support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash podcast. Look, I know we've started out with audio only. We're right now five Patreons away. From having a video recording here right five yeah five patrons yeah so like uh and look the sky is the limit here with as far as patreon donations go like i'm happy to get other mics uh, m- more cameras set up but we're doing this one step at a time uh, i've been really excited to see the support we've already gotten it, it really makes a huge difference so thank you guys so much but if you can if you want to throw some cash this way if you want to support me and what i'm doing the best way to do it is to uh, do it on our Patreon. So that's patreon.com forward slash Podcast. This episode of the podcast, I had the chance to sit down with the legendary Papa Smithy. Um, he is an amazing league caster. If you're super insular and you don't know about Papa Smithy, he's, he's a very big deal in League of Legends. He's an excellent caster. Um, he's been living actually in my neighborhood for, I want to say like five years or something. And he was nice enough to stop by my apartment, and we got to have a, a pretty cool conversation. I don't see him that much, so it was really cool to kind of learn more about his background and, you know, what his take is on casting. Um, and I guess without further ado, let's jump into it. This is episode, what is it, 12? 12. 12. All right, we're going to episode 12 with Papa Smithy. I'm really excited to have
1: you on, actually. This is cool. Um, when are you leaving, Korea? So I'll probably go sometime at the end of the month, um, just to, like film like a welcome to hundred thieves kind of content and meet people Okay. but are you uh, going
0: to be based out here still no okay. i'll
1: be based out of na but like okay. that probably will not be full-time in effect to like christmas or just after christmas so the rest of the year i'll be in and out because i've got worlds i've got meetings just yeah so how much more time do you actually have in korea then in terms of what like in terms of like, and
0: just being like being here i mean like is there a point in time where you're gonna have to leave basically permanently and yeah, everything and the, from there is gonna of, be end of december probably okay yeah. Are you
1: going to miss it? Yeah, of course. How long have you been out in Korea for now? These are all questions that probably you should ask on the podcast.
0: We're doing it, we're doing it now. We've started. Really?
1: Yeah, we're we're here. But don't you have like any spiel to open your show?
0: No, I do a recording after we're done. Oh. So basically there's like a soundbite. Like when we're done doing this, I
1: record like, hey, everybody, this is the tasteless podcast. That's, My guest, Papa Smithy. That's a very interesting approach. Yes. Did you have that same approach when you wrote college essays?
0: When I write a paper?
1: Yeah. Did you end with the intro? Some people do that.
0: You wonder what I used to do for college papers, actually? Yeah, sure. This is a good tip. The first paper you write for a class, don't proofread it. Okay. And make it look like shit. Mm-hmm. And then the professor will be like, this is terrible. And you'll be like, okay, I'll try harder. And then the next one you do, you actually proofread it. And by then, by the very
1: end, you're already improving. So you're like a con- a consistent improver type. Yes. You know how like everyone at... Uh, like- Especially in like primary school, that you would always get these little like one line bullets about how you were doing in a class, right? Like, oh, right. he's a consistent improver. Constantly you just have improve that in it. every single. I did. I did. There you go. Yeah. So you're going to be leaving Korea soon. Uh, are you going to miss it? Or are you looking forward to going to the States now? I think I'm definitely going to miss Korea. Um, something I grew to understand after I was here maybe like a year and a half. Um, I've been here four and a half years now. Um, was that it? Really became like a second home. And like that's like a kind of overused phrase. Um, but I'm someone who moved around quite a lot. Like I didn't live in one place my whole childhood or anything like that. So the idea of home... I, I also didn't have a lot of family around most of the time. Because like uh, my dad's British. My mom was born in Iran but lived overseas most of her life. And you lived in Australia for at yeah. least a, most Australia, of your life? Australia correct? would be my home nominally. Like it's the most years I spend in the country. And I definitely feel at home there. But... It's that frustrating thing now where people, oh, you're going to go see your family for Christmas in Australia? And I'm like, well, I actually have no family in Australia because we emigrated there, right? So it's definitely home in terms of what I think it is to be an Australian, like the mindset. Like I feel very comfortable there, but my connection is like tenuous from like a scientific perspective, but I spent most of my life there, so I really consider myself Aussie. And so that's why it was surprising to me that Korea became that same kind of home without having like a big family background home you know really was where the heart is for me and korea is really comfortable and an awesome country in many different ways not even just because my you know job is obviously um you know esports mecca is definitely korea but uh yeah i really have enjoyed my time here and i i'm not making the choice to leave korea it's very much uh forward thinking kind of what do i want next out of my career um approach rather than necessarily like america versus korea or anything like that so when you first came here i mean
0: because i i too i feel that very much the same as like in korea i'm very comfortable um did you have any initial difficulties or fears or concerns before you came here
1: no i mean there's two answers to this question and the first one is that i didn't know much about korea before i got into first league of legends and then League of Legends esports because i'm not a StarCraft guy. I remember when I first came out, because Monty and Doa were kind of the brainstrust, the previous League of Legends casters before me, um, that got me over here. And, you know, I was sitting with Monty, he's like, I just realized, like, you'll be the first esports commentator to come out of, to come over to Korea who didn't come from a StarCraft background, you know, whether you, like, watched on TV or or cast StarCraft or played StarCraft. I had no StarCraft foothold. My first esport was League of Legends, which as someone who's 32, like because I'm out in Korea, people just assume there had to have been those like college days following StarCraft. But I think, yeah, almost all the casters as well, yeah. uh, especially the Korean ones, started in StarCraft up yep. here. And that's, that's where I was kind of, I guess I represented a generational shift in a little bit, in that my first eSport was watching WCG 2010 qualifiers for League of Legends when the game was just out of beta. And, um, it came out of beta and February 2010 so like very much heady early days and the game's come a long way since then but you know I came from that different perspective when it came to to gaming Um, so I didn't know much about Korea right like I knew there was a world cup here in 88 I think it was Um, but apart from that I, I had very little insight you know compared to say Japan for example where you know about anime and cartoons and Nintendo and stuff Korea didn't have that same significance for me yeah actually it was similar thing to me too is yeah i grew up with anime
0: and nintendo and and i knew all about that yeah i really thought maybe one day i'll be in japan and korea was always much more obscure Mm. i don't know if it's it's not a destination holiday place right i think it's becoming one slowly yes but um yeah i i did not know very much about korea i was actually shocked when i first came here i had i had one gig i did here Uh, before I ended up uh, being able to move here. But I had no idea how big, like, for instance, Seoul was. Mm -hmm. Totally freaked me out. Being like a kid from Kansas, I
1: was totally surprised. I love having Aussies come through because the one thing that an Australian, I think, is the least equipped to deal with is how vertical Seoul is. Like, you know, you're like, oh, let's go to the restaurant. So you go there and you're just looking at eye level because in Australia, there's nothing that's like second floor, third floor. Like Everything's like detached or semi-detached or its own thing because there's a lot of space right there's no need to build vertically but because Seoul is so urban and so dense in terms of population in Seoul just that every Aussie I'm always like when did you learn to look up and that's a a thing you develop here is like wow that's like a fifth floor place and a sixth floor place (laughs) not just an apartment building where you know that but literally like I couldn't find the restaurant no it's on the fourth floor like what like people just don't think of that so it's it is very different in that way. Just so dense.
0: Was there any um, like stuff that you were surpri- pleasantly surprised about uh, when you got here? For instance,
1: I didn't know the crime rate was almost oh, non yeah, I I was shocked. That was definitely the first one. The safety and the way that manifests. Because I'm not a small guy, so like I've never really like just been super nervous about walking down a dark alley and stuff. Like I'm not an idiot, but I just it's never been an extra concern for me, but. Little things. Um, so our jobs are very skewed in terms of hours, like we work entertainers hours, so you would know this obviously like five PM to late basically. Right. Rather than, you know, nine to five. Um and the fact that you can live a life after work at eleven PM and still, you know, eat, socialize, have fun, get home because there's so much stuff around you, so you can walk home or taxis or a train, depending on um, and it's safe, like that's a really cool upside perk of my job. Like if I had the same hours in Australia, like everything closes, you know, at 10 p.m. or earlier. So that's a really nice perk here. But even just little things, like one of my favorite things or one of my favorite memories is very, you know, it's not a super significant one. But just walking home and seeing like single women, like having a good time, having a drink at 2 a.m., you know, in a well-lit street. And knowing they're going to get home safe and stuff like that. That's not stuff you can take for granted in every country, right? Like the the safety and how it allows people to just live their lives and have fun without having to have like a phone tree level of things you need to always keep in mind. Like that's a really nice perk of being in Seoul.
0: Yeah, it's <clears> – <throat> I notice every time I go back to the States because um, I- I've definitely been in some rough parts of the USA. And, sure, you know, Gun violence is obviously a big problem there, but – I, I was fascinated with what it did to my brain being here long enough that there were certain switches that were just turned off mm-hmm. as far as stress. And then experiencing if I go uh, back into a place where I'm like, Okay, this is not a safe part. So you're of the saying
1: camp. you don't use you don't leave your laptop at Starbucks in the you, States exactly. <laughs> to keep your spot when you go to the bathroom?
0: Right right where I picked you up at the train station by my apartment, I saw someone had this was a couple weeks ago, someone had left their phone on a park bench. Mm-hmm. And you know the rule in Seoul is that you don't grab this and then turn it into a store you just leave the thing where yeah. it is. Um so I was running errands that day this phone was left there for 5 hours. Uh-huh. No one had taken it and it's a busy street with people walking by. I knew like if it gets to 6 6 it's mine, six is mine. I'm going to take that and take all the parts out and sell them for money. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh no it's it, it's fascinating how how safe it can be out here. Um now you just got signed on to... You're a manager at 100 Thieves? General manager of League of Legends at 100 Thieves. Okay. Congratulations, first of Thank all. Thank you. Um, what does this job
1: exactly entail? I think that's something where the GM position is one that is very easy to misunderstand and I think is applied to a lot of different people in League of Legends teams. And not every one role fits like a a standard definition like it is very situational for what an organization needs Um, and that was obviously one of the early conversations is like everyone knows the GM title is like a very significant one that holds a certain amount of cachet but you need to get in there and, and have that clearly defined list of things or maybe even just know definitely what it isn't rather than literally everything that it is but kind of the way I think of it is is that If you Google 100 Thieves League of Legends, whatever scope of things you find in that list, I want to have touched in some way. Like I want to have oversight and understanding of what is a very kind of vertical business, right? There's a lot of different realities of an esports team. There's roster construction, very simple thing that I'm going to have obviously a big opinion on coming from a League of Legends analysis background um but there's also staffing how much stuff what does stuff look like what's the right makeup there there's marketing and branding that is something that I have obviously lay opinions on but they have a lot of experts in that field and 100 Thieves definitely like they super hard nail things like streetwear and and branding and stuff like that and something where they're really good at that and I know a lot about League of Legends so like the fusion there is something where I want to be upskilled and learn things. Our content production, their content team is is just awesome. They do some really, really cool stuff. And I'm always, I'm sure you realize this as well, being out in Korea is the amount of support we get from the companies out here to make English content around stuff we're passionate in is always way lower than we wish it was. you want to make sure, cool sure. stuff, high high production value stuff like they do on the Korean side. But business realities like that doesn't generally happen. Yeah, this
0: has always been a, a thing when you're doing shows out in Korea. Is that because the it's produced by Koreans? Yep. The, uh, it
1: and the primary audience of them, most of their content is, is Koreans. Korean, correct?
0: And then and then you have okay, well, you know, there's there can always be a second stream in English stream, but you know, how much can they really focus on that too? Mm-hmm. And that's why all of the broadcasts that all of us do out here are, are tethered
1: on too. A Korean broadcast. So. And I think that's what's developed, you know, casting styles that are people of love, like Tastosis, into Monty Do, into myself and Atlas and, and the whole team we have out here. But there's always kind of a an unspoken line that you know you shouldn't get excited about going above. It's very unlikely you'll get that full production feel. And so just being able to go to 100 these and be like, okay, like you guys nail all of this stuff these are kind of my like magnum opuses like what makes sense in our context that can really bring out our brand and and our field and what, what i focus on like that's uh something i'm interested in um and just basically like any communication systems and, and also being able to deal with the verticality is something that i feel very strongly about like i came from a educational psychology background so you know i've worked a government job where you report to your boss and they report to their boss and there's decrees from the government down and there's realities from like speaking to a kid or speaking to a teacher which is an australian that's right yeah um so i've understood what it is to be a go between between like the you know the the top and the bottom and understanding how to do that and i feel very confident in terms of conversations around that um so being able to speak to the players and i understand League of legends really well um and i understand their expectations of their role and if a player tells me, like, I can't do this sponsor obligation because I got slammed in this matchup and I need to grind practice in this matchup because the meta's going this way and if I don't get there, it's going to expose us next week, I can go to a sponsor or the big boss and actually have a pretty good idea of whether that's just, you know, players speak and they're being lazy or if it's actually something we really need to index highly into. And communicate that. And there's not a lot of people um, on the back end side who can kind of marry the business responsibilities background, but also kind of the game realities background. This is right? something I've, I've totally
0: noticed because I've got the opportunity to just meet a lot of teams and team owners. And one thing I've always, uh, not always, but a, a lot of times seen is, is there can be a disconnect sure. between the business part of this and then the whole we need to foster and nurture these talented kids. Um but, you know, also know enough about the game where it's like when you said like players speak, right, that's a big problem sometimes where players will just complain about a part of the game or say it's imbalanced or say mm-hmm. when really they're just, you know, not being realistic.
1: Like how easy is it for a player to glaze over when the business team comes in that doesn't understand kind of their viewpoint right. or really much about the game and stuff like that? And How easy for the reverse to happen, right? Um, and that's where I feel like I'll really be easily able to bridge the gap because I'm... One of my strengths of as an analytical League of Legends caster is to take an abstract concept and deliver it in a very easy to digest way for a, a wide audience. Like that's you know basically the entire point of my job. You know, I'm obviously an entertainer, but also from the analysis side point, is to do that, and that's something I've always felt I was strong at doing. So um, I feel very confident that we can really become. a a League of Legends team where everyone who is there on the support side but the playing side knows their value, knows their expectations, and where necessary can understand everyone else to at least a degree that means that we all function like close to the top efficiency of what's possible. So that's why the role, the, ro- the fact that the role has such a, a wide berth in terms of what it can be or what it should be or what it is, like, I'm going to make mistakes along the way. Like I'm going to need to push boundaries and learn and evolve. And because they have so many smart people in the org already, and because I'm coming in as the guy who needs to be live, breathe, understand, and kind of intuit League of Legends, like, it just feels like an excellent marriage of kind of two people or a person in a company.
0: How involved exactly... <clears throat> And I actually am not just asking this question for people listening. I, I, I want to know too because I don't quite understand it. how involved is uh, Riot with all of the teams that they work with. Because if if I and what kind of
1: dimensions are we talking about?
0: Um, I, I I don't I don't even know where to go with that. I sure. guess. I mean I mean do they do you guys have to collaborate and talk to Riot constantly, or are there a lot of? Do they? I don't want to say interfere, but I mean is. It, there's always been a, a, a since esports has started there's always been this fascinating thing that happens between publishers and team owners yep um just like there's always been something with uh game publishers and then studios that produce esports mm-hmm. events so what is the dynamic like exactly if you're on 100 thieves what is the relationship with riot like and sure. are they hands on are they hands off how does that work and I know, I know you're not there yet but from what you know
1: yeah it's mostly going to be as you're kind of alluding to outside knowledge or being around the situation knowledge, but my understanding, I mean, the clear thing is it's a franchise league over in North America. So it's franchise league in North America in Europe in China. Um, but those are the really big franchise leagues in Korea. Is there a chance it moves that way? Absolutely. But for now it is not a franchise league. It's still promotion relegation. Um, so, going over to a franchise team. So in case you're not aware of what that means, it means like your spot is assured. You're not going to be promoted or relegated. Like 100 Thieves will be there the entire time um, in perpetuity as it stands right now, unless there's you know something happens unforeseen in the future. Um, there is a lot of collaboration, right, with Riot because it's a franchise league. It's in everyone's interest that 100 Thieves and the LCS grows as much as possible, gets as popular as possible, and it's very symbiotic. In a relationship there. So there's definitely going to be areas where they have oversight on or strong opinions on. Like, I'm sure we can't bring on a smoking sponsor or something like that, right? Like, that's going to be something that's going to be deemed as unacceptable. Um, <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, no, no Cialis sponsors or anything. But I mean. <laughs> anything out there. Yeah. I've been around for other esports where there wasn't a symbiotic relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um and Franchise League is something that I know Blizzard side is pushing. Obviously, everyone knows about Overwatch League, but the Call of Duty League is is setting up as well. And then there is a push towards more collaborative approaches. And a lot of people don't know that StarCraft Pro League was effectively a franchise league right back in the day. Um, and that is kind of one of the first esports franchise leagues. And that seems to be a further push, but now more developer-sided in the future yeah
0: d- developers are definitely you know taking more and more of a role here in trying to mm-hmm. control this the original uh, pro league was set up with um the Korean words table but basically the the richest Korean companies came together um and all it was like what LG and samsung and and um, cj cj all these big companies came together and then they were they had this thing that they were running but they had actually pushed Blizzard out. Mm-hmm. In that process, Blizzard was never involved in StarCraft That one was like totally. a Kesper franchise versus Correct. a
1: and now a more developer-led model.
0: And um, this is one of the reasons why StarCraft 2 was actually made, was that they, uh, they said, okay, we're going to get our, another IP out, and then we're going to try to take control of it. And I think that's why we've seen a general shift in publishers becoming much more interested in trying to uh, control uh, and yeah. run stuff. How do you feel Blizzard does with their Overwatch League Compared to, I mean, obviously the, the numbers are clear. I mean, League of Legends, I, I believe, is much bigger uh, than Overwatch is right now. Is that correct? As a global game, As absolutely. a global game, absolutely, yeah. But uh, how are they doing with their franchising and, and what they're running? How is that
1: compared to what Riot does? I think it's really hard to say from the outside. I think Blizzard made a lot of decisions that didn't resonate with me because I was an Apex caster. That was the Korean League um, before the franchising. I had I'd almost forgotten
0: about that. That's right. You did Apex, too. Um,
1: And there was a time where I was really into Overwatch and and casting it. Like, I really enjoyed it. Um, But I kind of saw the direction it was going in. And my frustration with with Overwatch League was that they destroyed everything that existed to create this global league based out of North America, which is going to have certain trade-offs in terms of time zones especially, right? Can can you expand on what you just said? You said they destroyed everything that existed. What do you mean by that? So... The franchise teams were set up, which superseded all the old teams. You know, so it's basically like if, if your team didn't also already have a financial backer that could create a franchise with that roster, the roster effectively liquidated because you had to be in Overwatch League. That was the only kind of because they, they could decide who could run a tournament, and who couldn't. And Overwatch League was going to be the, the A tier tournament. Um, and for a couple of years, it's been based on North American, North American time zone. So the fact that Apex couldn't exist as kind of a complementary tournament or a different tournament, like it got turned into Contenders, which is very much a tiered system, like development talent or young talent to Overwatch League talent, compared to say Riot, where you know the LCS is the premier North American league, the LEC is the premier European league, the LPL is the premier Chinese league, and the um, you know LCK is the Korean league, is so different like because riot was always we want each region or each major region to have something they're proud of that holds tournaments and it's big rather than there's going to be this global league and now blizzard had the idea of home and away and, and there will be the stands next year and it remains to be seen how that will go but so much was done you know on the community side to, to build up overwatch or attempts to in the early days that it was a bit frustrating to see like Oh, Apex is just dead now and its history will be referenced, but but never really, you know, leveraged in the future.
0: Yeah, there is a a degree of artificiality that that surrounds Overwatch in a lot of ways. Like that it excuse me, I'm a little bit congested today. Um, you know, that it was it was pushed as an esport right off the bat
1: when it was That's the future, right? Uh, This is what all these companies are doing. There was that three year patch, I want to say it was like twenty thirteen to sixteen where Every single title had to have an esports plan shared. And I don't think that's necessarily gone away in 2019, but every multiplayer game was like, so how will you scale into esports? Was kind of a. Yeah, where's your
0: highest competitive scene going to be, even if Mm -hmm. the game was never necessarily competitive? So you had um, games like Overwatch, and Overwatch is in some ways sort of like
1: a MOBA, you know, with characters oh, having yeah. different I, I abilities. I see it like that. I mean, it's, yeah. team, it's like very much TF2, but with even more emphasis on the MOBA side. Yeah,
0: TF2 is sort of moba almost, but um, th- there was never any kind of major um, competitive scene behind that uh, before Blizzard said, this is an eSport and now it is. Um, and then also just the way that they've, like you said, liquidated all these teams and and everything else that could have been going on and then basically hit a giant reset button and has tried to start uh, growing this Overwatch League into what what I guess, if I understand correctly, they're hoping that it's going to
1: be, there'll be esports stadiums everywhere. And so the the way next year is is like, each team is going to hold two home stands, which doesn't necessarily mean like they have a home stadium like under their control 365 days a year, but they're going to produce two kind of long weekends of action where eight teams will be competing It's kind of like a stage so it will be a traveling road show in some ways but not quite the original plan of like everyone has their own stadium they how and that might still be a future plan and the, the thing that people should know is that, that riot also like forced something like the lcs started in 2013 in 2012 there was a really big established open circuit with a lot of viewership so they said, okay, let's bring an internal. We'll we'll be the producers. We'll make this league. But to me, the difference in the two, because you can look at both and say that like a developer forced a kind of like setting. Like They decided what it was going to be. It was developer-focused esports rather than television um, networks like it has been in Korea until recently. But the difference was that Riot was always more collaborative around the teams that they wanted in. It wasn't just we're going to hold a bidding process and like whoever gets in with the best business plan gets in. It was at the start of the LCS era. It is, you know, we want these certain teams in there when it was um, going from the LCS era to the franchise LCS era. So when they're getting permanent partners from the promotion and relegation side, it was, um, you know, if you were already in the LCS, then you still had to apply. But if you didn't get in, there was a parachute payment. Like it was, much more with the lens of trying to keep the people in that you wanted in, keep the the fan favorites in and stuff like that. And that feels a little bit less, like it feels a little bit cold and clinical on the the Blizzard side, which um, maybe that was the right way forward for them. Like the, the Overwatch scene was very nascent. Like League had had, I would say kind of one and a half, like really kind of serious, like full circuit kind of like CSGO is now time and then lcs came but overwatch was we're going to do it this way very very early some cool stuff happened in korea some other like events happened around the world but because the timeline was more abbreviated um it went in a different direction and i'm not in a position to say what was right or wrong but as a caster who was in apex and like we were building something special and then it was just dead for you know just Overwatch League and really like no other meaningful competition happening in my time zone because like the reason that I jived with LCK and and Champions and Korean League of Legends was I was an Australian at 6 p.m there was sick League of Legends with high production value whereas at 3 a.m or 4 a.m or whenever the Overwatch League would have been you know relative to that or LCS at the time I just couldn't watch that right because I was trying to lead my life so having localized content in your time zone, which there will be some of next year, but there's not going to be, like, regular Korean legs. There's only Seoul Dynasty, so the time zones will be different, Um, was really important to me. And that's the cool thing about League is that, you know, we're recording this podcast, and then after that, there's European League of Legends to watch, and there's minor regions happening. Like, it does feel like you could have a 24-hour day of watching some level of competition, whereas that's just not the case with Overwatch. That's
0: actually a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. yeah it, it the fact that um overwatch league yeah I, I that's totally true when i'm out in Seoul, i there's no time where i can turn on my tv or,
1: or watch if you wake overwatch up at 10 a.m like you could watch like a little bit of the last game but sure but i mean
0: you know like you, you tend to want to watch think, you couldn't a lot of follow your
1: you couldn't follow your team either right right yeah
0: i mean um the idea that yeah you'd, you're right you'd have to wake up at 10 a.m it's just not part of my normal esports viewing experience. I can get, watch PUBG on Korean TV out here, StarCraft, League of Legends. It's very easy to keep up on, but yeah, unless I'm going to bend my viewing time around this, there's no way to catch anything. I guess this is probably also true somewhat for people that try to watch a lot of StarCraft mm-hmm. if they're in the states, is you know there's not many moments where it's a
1: convenient time to watch Korean StarCraft. But Korean StarCraft is aimed for the Korean audience, but attracts a global audience. Same as LCK, right? right? It needs to be prime time for the local audience. But if other people are watching it, they're, you know, they're holding a bow and they're, they're doing a tasteosis. They're doing that. Meanwhile, the Overwatch League is the only show because that was the plan. It's the only show. And that gives a cachet and that you know makes it very easy to sell to sponsors and stuff because it's like, this is Overwatch, the big eSport, and this is the only show to sponsor. The only show is a very you know digestible thing to understand, but it's at the cost of being a global game. And that was what drew me to, say, football or soccer, depending on how you want to talk it, is, you know, they would always call it, you know, the beautiful game, the global game. It's so easy to pick up and play. And that's what I really love is having that world ecosystem. Like I am a caster who's always looking to what everyone else is doing and try to pick up. Okay, so in that lens, that makes sense. Does that make sense for our context and our players and our style? Like, just having different styles and then seeing them mesh every year at Worlds is one of the kind of most alluring things about League of Legends esports because things can develop in, you know, the corner of your eye that actually ends up being a pervasive kind of global thing.
0: Yeah, esports really is, I, I feel like it really is the most global thing that there is now is online gaming. I mean, for all the talk about how oh, this person sits in their room or they're playing these games all day, in reality, they're traveling around the world. You know, they're experiencing different cultures, they're meeting uh, different people from different parts of the world and, and, and competing against them in a very healthy way. It's very cool to see that. And, and also, you know, to see certain trends or styles pick up in certain regions of the world. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that now in StarCraft, European Zergs really are. The most terrifying thing ever where this used to be sort of a joke is the European Zergs would play differently than uh, the Korean Zergs. And everybody would laugh at that because, of course, the Koreans are you should be following what the Koreans are doing. Mm -hmm. And now we have Serral as the best player in the world. Um, Shifting gears a little bit here. Are you going to miss casting if you're
1: being a, a general manager on 100 Thieves? I think that's easiest to ask when I actually have data points in hindsight but I think the answer easily at this point is yes Um, it's kind of been the the love of my professional career like it's been the thing I've really enjoyed doing Um, I've got a lot of positive feedback around so the people have enjoyed what I've done and I really do enjoy seeing something that I find interesting parsing what's good about it what's bad about it and delivering that and sharing that with people. Like I've always been someone who loves to, to teach or to, to share. And because that's, uh, it's a fun experiment, thought experiment to try to understand why a pro player is doing something potentially very esoteric or hard to notice or, or nuanced and try to deliver that. And also because our product is a bit more relaxed, like we have fun, like there's the, the entertainment aspect of it as well. Um, it's a job where, it's still a job, so there's some days where, like, oh, I have to go to work today. Um, <gasps> you know, you have to disrupt your routine. <laughs> yeah. So whether that's going out to do manual labor or whether that's going out to cast, like, you know, there's some days you, you, want, you want to stay home or chill. Mm-hmm. Days but, you're not feeling on.
0: You're like, I don't know yeah. if I really want to go shout and, and try to entertain but then
1: people. Then you then it starts, you know, and you get swept up in the crowd cheering for their team. And and just, you you shift into a different gear and you're like, oh, shit, I'm 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 commentating the game I love again and that washes over you in a certain way and you never think about the oh shit I'm working today like the that that thought never enters your mind the moment that gear shifts and I'm someone who um you know viewers might listening now might notice I'm much more my voice sounds very different to when I cast um I was blessed with a very kind of low energy voice like I'm Um, and that's not necessarily a great thing for commentating because you need to be able to carry emotion and carry excitement. And so I also, when I sit down, when I I commentate, I I come from a different spot. I had to modify how I I speak in order to um, actually succeed as a caster. And the, the cool thing about that is Christopher Smith might be having kind of a crappy day, things didn't go his way, personal, professional, whatever it is. But the moment that, I become, you know, Papa Smithy, which is my pseudonym. Um and I shift that voice like I'm no longer burdened by those things, like I'm I'm there for League of Legends and it's no longer, you know, the person. So it's it's kind of cool that I can that I can separate those two things and and be what the viewers deserve because the viewers are tuning in for enthusiastic, informative, excited to be there, and that's what I always deliver even if an hour before, you know, I'm I'm living in regret for something else. Now, how long did it
0: take you to get that skill? Because I can relate to that because sometimes I'm having a totally weird day or I'm feeling off. But sometimes it takes maybe five or ten minutes. But I get into the cast, I kind of become, and it it is not a a different person. It is a a certain version of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to learn how to do that. How long did that take you, or did that come naturally?
1: So the voice thing was a kind of physical requirement, you know, like I needed that. And so when I listened to my really old VODs, because the first cast that um, most people took notice of me was a cast I did with um, Pastry Time, Julian, who's now over in North America. Um, We cast a game where there was uh, a very unlikely like role swap and champion was played, Heimerdinger that's never played in the jungle. And that really trended kind of globally um, at the end of 2012, I want to say, and I listen back to that now because the VOD is still up has like 500k YouTube views or something and I'm, I'm speaking like this. And I'm like, oh, paste your time. Like, this is crazy. You know, like, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because yes, that's yeah, just yeah. how I talked, right? Yeah. And I had a lot of feedback cause I had been casting about six months so at that point. I had a lot of feedback. Like, he knows a lot. Like, he's communicating. He knows the game because like, I was the analyst, right? And when you're starting, the most important thing is like, is this guy clueless or does he know his stuff? And like, I got a lot of compliments around knowing my stuff. But in terms of like, being engaging or entertaining. Um, you know, I was I had a lot of work to do. But I just never got that feedback. So I just didn't know that. And so I, I kept grinding away. And then when I got my first full-time gig, uh, there was that feedback of, like, you need to project your voice more. You need to be more on this side. Like, yes, you know your stuff and people come with you that. But, like, this is an entertainment product. Like, you need to be there. And so... This was start of 2015. Um, the first thing they suggest is that you try casting standing up because you naturally project more when you stand up. Just like if you're singing. Yep, and that was helpful. Um, and I was also, it wasn't just um, projecting more. It was literally volume. Like I, I I'm pretty soft spoken as a person. Which if you go and watch clips of me now, I'm like shouting and hooting and hollering super loud, right? But that that's that wasn't me. Um, and so. The standing up helped and then, you know, focusing on it and listening back and really reviewing it helped and I got better at it. But eventually it would have taken like from when I first cast to getting there, like in terms of actual chronological time, it's probably like the better part of two and a half years. But it was being able to make it my full time job, like from the first day casting was my full time job to actually getting to where I needed to be was probably about two and a half months of of trying things and, and getting feedback and, and really focusing on it. And now I'm like, all right, guys, I'm here today for this game and wow, amazing. But I, I, that's not me natively. And that's something I had to develop. Otherwise, I just would never have been able to succeed. Like there are people who um, you know, were considering bringing me on to international events and riot events in 2012, 2013, 2014, who internally were saying, this guy's never going to make it it's not possible like he doesn't have the tools to be a commentator because i was so soft-spoken but what i learned or what i proved in hindsight is that having the the full-time cloud you know i was working a full-time job and commentating having the actual feedback and time and being able to actually focus my attention on it was what i actually needed in order to to develop um to where i got to i guess today
0: what about public speaking? Was that
1: nope? The, I, I was super never, nervous. Uh,
0: that, that's what I was wondering because you're saying you're more of a soft-spoken guy. Yeah. You, you know, you see, you identify more as as an analytical person, so you you probably want to mull over problems and try to see how things yeah, work, and that, always, that tends to yeah. have, have be make you an introverted person. And so here you are, you're on stage, you're in front of mm-hmm. just insane numbers of people. It's live TV, which is literally the highest pressure. Um, type of broadcasting that there is because if you
1: say the wrong thing uh, it's just out there um. I mean I was a scared of my own shadow kind of kid you know like I was very overweight and I had some like self image a lot of self image problems and you know why would anyone like me kind of thoughts um, and that kind of played me and no one wants to be that you just are that right um, and I had to learn to be more extrovert and I had to learn to be more confident but thankfully i i'm very good at rational thought and so for example like half an hour before a big broadcast especially when i was at the start of my career it's like oh my god like i hope i don't make this mistake and that mistake you know you're a bundle of nerves right but i was able to supersede kind of the the negative thoughts with thoughts like all right so it's not useful for me to be nervous now so i'm just not going to be nervous and i was able to supersede kind of the so
0: you're able to like Cognitively get out in front of that yes. And say well this is actually Thinking this That will then cause this feeling cause if you're only nervous cause about problem,
1: how nervous you're feeling And then you fail That's the worst <laughs> Then like it was a self-fulfilling prophecy But if you recognize that you're nervous And you know that it's fine to be nervous People get nervous about things But it's not in any way helpful for the broadcast I just yeah I you know kind of got a macro in there right And jammed it in the middle And that was helpful at the start And I naturally, I had some really good role models when I moved to Korea. Like Christopher Monte Cristo um, was a really good role model. And he's a very self-assured person. He's
0: very confident.
1: Very confident. Like he knows what he knows. He focuses on his strengths. um, And he focuses away from his weaknesses. And, you know, when he told me like, you're good at this, you know, it meant something. And so over time I developed an understanding of what I was good at and what my strengths were. And I grew to become a lot more extroverted and a lot more confident because the best part about casting, it's probably the thing that really allowed me to become the person that I am today, which is so different from the person I was seven years ago, is, and I'm sure you know this, uh, the best part of casting is not when you get the smartest analytical point or the best possible game. It's when you realize that the viewership really wants you to be super excited and interested in something and share it with them, and that's exactly what they want. They don't want the sickest now. They want tasteless delivering something tasteless cares about and tasteless enjoys. They
0: want the casters to be having fun. Yep. If everybody's having fun...
1: And that's what they're listening for. They're listening for tasteless having fun. They're like, that's exactly what I wanted, tasteless. That thing that you wanted to tell me is what I wanted because of the way you're communicating, because it's so clear that that's what you're into. And that, that again, symbiotic, I've used that a couple of times. This podcast but symbiotic relationship is is really addictive so i got to become me and i got to learn that people actually wanted me they didn't just want smart generic legal legends come to they wanted christopher smith pop smithy whatever you want to call it sharing his humor and his knowledge and the things he enjoyed and that you know that made it much easier to argue down automatic thoughts or negative thoughts and so while i haven't necessarily you know become a different person I've been able to more clearly understand who and what I am and be comfortable and my favorite thing about my life now compared to 10 years ago is that I look at myself in the mirror and I'm proud of the decisions I made and I know that I fought for the the good fights I thought I needed to fight for and that's so cool. um, I I try to focus on integrity and, and doing the right thing and I make mistakes along the way but I've gotten a lot better at, at smiling at myself and feeling confident I'm happy about myself.
0: All right, guys, we're stopping for a, a quick break here um, and then I'm going to do my usual plugs. You were saying you were Flemmy today. I'm a little bit flemmy yeah i've been I've been having a lot of um I don't know if it's the pollution out here or what <laughs> I, I don't mean to make soul sound un, unappealing, but there definitely is a lot of pollution out here, but a lot of times in the morning, I always got to like spit stuff out like when I'm taking a shower do you in the morning. That? Yeah, no I morning. don't have that at all <laughs> really for me it's usually like I have to have a quite greasy food like if I have like pork belly like we had for lunch yeah or if I go to like a burger place usually something about like the greasy food just makes like oh maybe that's what I it get is really flemmy. because yeah, every once in a while yeah I'll get like some pizza or something yeah just down and dirty because I yeah. have to that's when I got to spit okay because <laughs> I've been a little bit flemmy too here um so anyways uh, that was Ryan uh, who I work with here at the uh, the tasteless podcast um again guys if you can support us on patreon.com, it goes a long way to helping us make the show a lot better, so it's really appreciated. Um, I really want to keep doing this and trying to build this up into the best show it can possibly be. And I feel like I'm learning slowly over time. You know, kind of how to interview and how to podcast and stuff. It's been a really cool experience. Um, is there anything else I need to say? Is that it? GSL tomorrow. GSL finals is tomorrow. Yeah, people are going to know the results. But who do you think is going to win? It's Rogue versus uh, Trap. Right. Trap right. I think. I think, think Trap's going to. Really, he, I think he's just the protagonist of GSL this year. Like yeah, everyone, true. everyone keeps doubting that he's actually going to succeed. But I like that. I'm gonna no just, trap I'm, is just. I'm just. I'm pulling for him, man. could be a real Cinderella story, if he wins. Yeah, I'm going to use that for the cast tomorrow. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we're going to go back to the original recording. This is uh, the continuation of the Papa Smithy episode. Enjoy. If I understand correctly, um, you you were a a therapist for children. Yes. Before
1: you were a, right. a, a caster. Did you work in a school or were you in a... I worked in a group of schools, so it's kind of like the easiest way to understand it is people understand the idea of like a rural doctor, like you do your like apprenticeship away from the city and you come back to the city afterwards, um, just so that the you know country doctors, can, the country hospitals can actually get access to resources. Same thing in psychology where it's... I was based out of a city uh, three and a half hours from Perth, which is a very remote um capital city it's the one on the west side right yes. it's like the
0: really isolated city that's right i think it's mining the mo- mining city right
1: i wouldn't necessarily but it's definitely a mining like western australia is definitely known for mining but perth itself is not a mining city. okay there's a okay. lot of them out there um it's the most isolated capital city in the world in the case i'm mistaken and uh three and a half hours inland from there so like you know moving towards the east from there which it's a small wheat belt town no known, known for like crops and stuff like that, like 3,000 people, not big by any means. Um, and so I was based basically like all the schools within like public schools, not private schools, within like an hour's drive. Like I would basically be every school because the government of Australia has a kind of like every school deserves access to this kind of person, educational school psychologist. But obviously if it's a small school, you might get, half a day every two weeks. If it's a big school, it might be okay. three days a week. So I kind of had that like FTE idea of the amount of time I spent at schools was decided by the government and he just negotiated the specifics with the with the group of schools.
0: So you were there um, two and a half years, th- two and a half years. And it was just mostly just kids coming in who were, you know, they were depressed or they were dealing with anxiety or...
1: Basically the full realm Because I was doing primary and secondary school So okay. it was like the, the full gamut All the way from my kindergarten to year 12 Um, And I was Yeah there was definitely like Some grief counseling and depression stuff Like I definitely had to diagnose depression And that sort of thing It would be intellectual disability And like obviously a lot of school focused problems Around getting the most out of a kid Like this kid's struggling, why? Or I felt this kid could be doing better Why is he not? um and a lot of conversations with parents around okay so is this kid being set up for success what are his priorities and things like that um but it was kind of the full the full spectrum like it was like this kid's having trouble making friends like do you ha- can you help him pick up some skills there or these two people had a big falling out and they used to be friends can you talk to both of them and, and try to Marry that, so it was, it was whatever the scenario needed. So it was a very umbrella kind of position, but one I really enjoyed because I love talking to people and trying to help people through their issues. So,
0: how does one do that and then somehow end up in
1: Korea, Fair question. casting League of Legends? Uh, so it was just a. Uh, so I, I didn't have a lot of friends. Like I'd never lived outside of a city in my life. So, and uh, that was obviously a culture shock. Some i'm sorry degree. you never lived outside of a city yeah i'd only okay. been like a big city right i hadn't okay. been i hadn't been in a small town um so i played video games and i played a lot of league of legends um i was i played originally dota in, in college you know 2005 2006 time and then had enough of it gave up on it someone got me into league of legends i went to like a football game afl actually australian football game in 2010 and they're like you should play a it. side like Dota, and I was like, "No, I kind of did Dota. Like, I don't need to." When you say Dota, you mean uh, that heavy Dota on, on Warcraft, Warcraft three mod, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and I was like, "No, I'm kind of done with Dota. I don't want to play anymore." But ended up playing a couple games and got into it, um, and I was decent. So, eventually, when the um, all right 2012, like I got scouted onto a professional team, and it's definitely inverted commas compared to like the professional scenes even in Australia, but definitely globally now. I caught like kind of like a pub poker team, I guess level of like uh, accomplishment, but I was on the second best Australian team and you didn't have to scrim a lot of stuff back then. Like it was a much more nascent scene. But um my first ever game was broadcast. Pastry Time actually cast my first ever game. And I was like, "Wow, that's so cool. I didn't even know there were broadcasts like for these this level of games." And I um was always someone who got really deeply into my interests, so before League of Legends, I was really into poker, and I could tell you all the conditional probabilities of hands and stuff like that, like the sort of stuff where if you've ever watched World Series of Poker and did stuff, you, they have to play professionally. Um, I played uh, professionally is a strong word. I, I mean, I, I went to the casino from time to time. I played in like the pub poker scene, like where you have a buy-in, you did, try to make money. Did you money. know I
0: used to live with poker players? Out yeah,
1: there. I mean, I know about Elky, right? Elky,
0: why well, yeah, I didn't actually with the. I, Stayed in their apartment with uh, Guillaume Patry, who's a celebrity out here now, does shows, yep. but a, a Rec roll, mm-hmm. Dan Schreiber, who's the world champion. Yep. Um, that's a, a totally ra- different world. I
1: ran a whole a home game Like I, when, when I was in Australia. I had my own, before, I, when I was actually studying still, I had my own kind of pretty expensive table, like not quite casino level, but like one step down. And ran a home game there, and I was really interested in the conditional probability I would watch all the shows like poker after dark and high stakes poker and stuff like that and started reading some of like a lot of the mathematical formulas behind a lot of the conditional probabilities um but I I couldn't do online poker like I just it didn't have the same allure for me did you me. try to do like multiple tables I just at, that that just wasn't like I wanted to be it's the, almost like day trading or something but I wanted to be the guy in high stakes poker Like I yep. wanted to be like Phil Ivey angle shooting someone or Phil Helmuth being a fish like I wanted to i wanted to because I, for me a lot of the fun was on the one hand the pureness of the math but also the you know like bluffing and the the playing around with people and like i tried to play online that way and that's just how you lose money like you have to yeah. be super analytical and that's just not what i was interested in so i lost i remember i because i was a student i didn't have a lot of money i lost like three or four hundred dollars and like I, I just don't have this money to lose like i need to stop so i basically stopped that and ended up replacing it with League of Legends which actually worked out pretty well all things considered but I've always been kind of deep into one thing so on the side of working I didn't have a lot of social life but I did have League of Legends and so played it and then did the commentating so I was like well I'm already thinking about this and that I was into like the minutiae of the game before Riot even really shared a lot of information that they weren't always clear about like if you buy this, this is how much effectiveness you get of AP or AD, like damage or magic damage. Um, the client didn't really surface that back in the day. And I was on, on the forums trying to learn all that to hypothesize different strategies. And so commentating something I never really considered, but I was like, oh, uh, uh, can I just do this? And Time didn't really have a regular partner. So he's like, yeah, absolutely. Come on and got good feedback and did that. And was, was this Very... a
0: guy you knew in person? No. This is okay, just, so just an online friend Just an now.
1: online commentator who now of course commentates you know the LCS over in North America so he's been successful in his own right but it was just oh like because I was a player it was very easy to like and Twitter is a thing right I was very easy to be like, hey like you did a really good job here um, I heard you don't have a partner like when I'm not playing like could I just try out you know and just do it and so just did it over Skype um, with all the production realities that had it's 2012 it's a different time. And he liked working with me, and I liked working with him. And we started doing local stuff to, you know, two to 10 viewers and grew kind of organically. Like I cast over a thousand hours before I got paid anything. But it was just, I had a lot of free time when I wasn't working and I didn't really have a social life. So I did more and more commentating, and eventually it got more and more serious as we went on.
0: So this is a thing where. You were just doing this because you liked doing it. Oh, just because I loved it, and you had free time, and you're in kind of the in, in middle, middle of nowhere. Yeah, basically. middle of nowhere. I, I almost said that. I thought maybe that's too crude. But no, it's it's yeah. pretty much true. Yeah, you just you were in a place where there wasn't much to do, and so yeah. you fell into yeah this thing, and so it wasn't like you were trying to get into
1: this career as some oh, kind of no. an escape route. Nope, of, from what you were doing. I mean, in any in any case, like commentating and playing the game were an escape route, right? Escape from reality, like a. This is like that's gaming is that on some. I level, guess I was right? asking more of like it was this ever in an attempt to escape from the career you had. I never a knew that could be a career in commentating games. I had no idea. Like you, obviously, were already um, you know established at this point and working in the field, but I didn't know the field existed. So um, that's kind of the one of the my favorite things. This was especially true in the early days, but it's still true to this day to some degree. Is that because all of us got to our positions without cynicism like no one cynically became an esports commentator um especially kind of the the older generation like you did it because you you loved what you were doing and then you kind of fell into opportunity is kind of how the way it went or you got too big to fail and so my favorite part is whenever there was a new commentator hired or a new esports writer hired it was like, wow, great. You know, our field is growing, and you were legitimately happy that another person had gotten in because you knew how hard they worked and that they were ready for an opportunity that didn't exist. Most people, right? The, the esports had to catch up to where some of the talented people already were, but there was no money or opportunity for them. So that's one of my favorite things about esports is that every like, consecutive person I'm like, Excellent. Another great person. Congratulations. Like, this is good for everyone. You know, you obviously most significantly, but the the discipline as a whole. So it was a, it was a very different time, very heady time.
0: That is a good point. Nobody got
1: into this Not necessarily th- knowing where they were going to end up. I want to be a lawyer yeah. because I make a lot of money. Yeah. Or it's I like heard the the doctors that doctors make a lot. Yeah. There's no, I heard that esports commentators make a lot. It's like, oh, I didn't even know there was this. But like, that sounds yeah. pretty cool um so yeah it was uh it was an unlikely path but i think everyone has their own unlikely path to get to where we were like we're starting to get some younger casters like ender for example over in the lec is 21 you know so the lcs was um 2013 so six years ago So like he would have been like 15 you know watching the the first seasons and so he would have at least then had a pathway to i want to be on this product but you know, when I started, there wasn't quite those levels of parts. They were just MLG and IEM and stuff like that. And that felt very far away. Like, there was not much tangible there as an Aussie boy to work out how you would ever be on a show like that. But I feel like nowadays, when we have franchise leagues and the life expectancy of League of Legends is, is kind of undefined at the moment. Like, maybe it lasts forever. Maybe it's over in five years. We can't know. But they're being stable well-supported, well-watched framework suggests it's going to be around for a long time. And suddenly, if you're young, you can make realistic goals. Like, oh, I want to be on this product in seven years. Because if you did that in FIFA 2005, well, it'd be FIFA 2013 by then, right? But if League of Legends has been around this long and theoretically could keep going, then you can actually make plans for the future in a different way. And maybe you can start to think about, I want this career for me, whereas we just... I mean, you especially kind of made a career out of English side of commentating. I just didn't want to have a job. It was what I, I I was doing. Well, I got bad news for you. You've had a job I for a while now. Fucked up, and here I am in this
0: fucking job. No, no. Basically, I uh, I got hired to do a couple events uh, overseas to cast, and then I I look around and be like, wait a minute. I there seem to be a, people who are much older than me that are walking around doing this, and they're probably getting paid.
1: Who not, were those people not, like not, Red Eye not, and stuff like that? Who
0: literally, Red Eye and DJ Wheat. Sure, um, they were, those guys mentored me a lot, and but I mean, I just met people running the event. I mm-hmm. thought, oh, this seems to be a you know, there's people. You get to an event, you know, a day or two beforehand, they're they're setting up um, the venue, they're building the stage. There's game publishers down there, and I thought, man, this this could be something. And I was in school, I was studying philosophy, and I actually. I actually studied to be a counselor very briefly Mm uh i turned it into a psych minor not that it matters i I think a lot of people do a psych
1: minor right yeah yeah
0: it was fun i really enjoyed studying it um but i started to realize as i was getting older i need i need to have some kind of a job and i really like playing starcraft and, and studying starcraft and so eventually um i i kept getting hired for these casting gigs and i Eventually got a job offer out here. And I think my okay. my
1: story was pretty similar, but obviously yeah. a lot later in the pace.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, the idea of me just being able to continue to talk about my favorite computer game, you know, and not have to—I don't know. I mean, I just—I was afraid I was going to end up at some job that sucked. I had this job that I had to move furniture at for a summer, and it was the worst thing ever because I was so exhausted my body was so tired by the end of the day you know the funny thing I looks great
1: but <laughs> yeah that's right the funny thing is connected to your point is that there are a lot of people even in my field who have been around in League of Legends casting a long time who didn't have a full-time job before casting and those are the people where you know you end up sounding like your father or something but you're like no, no no like I worked not yeah. casting so I know how awesome casting is or how different casting is and so because you can't like they're jaded in a certain way i'm like you'd be different if you had that like two or three years over there you know yeah i mean this furniture moving job i had like i unloaded it, fish from a boat okay so i did that <laughs> wow right that's a similar
0: level of like no, physical manual, manual labor. labor i mean it, it was you know my, it, my
1: back hurt and like
0: oh yeah i, I remember getting home because I lived, I lived in the dorms. It, it was a job for my school. I painted dorm rooms, moved mattresses, mm-hmm. threw out, helped helped out old furniture. I could
1: see he was a thug. I could see that.
0: <laughs> and and basically, they, um, I think I was getting, I was getting paid like almost nothing, like seven dollars an hour or something. Beer like that. money, yeah, beer money, uh, basically. Um, and it just, I would get home and I was so tired, I couldn't play games. Like I was physically just so exhausted, and it wasn't like a good physical exhaustion. Like I, oh, I rode a you know for an hour on my bike, mm-hmm. and I feel alive. It's like no, I'm I'm tired. That the the work is so mindless, um, and that's you when were on I, the treadmill. Yeah, I was on the treadmill, and and or the hamster wheel, the hamster wheel. What? Yeah, it, it, and it it just sucked. And that was the real moment where I thought, okay, I need to get this casting side gig i'm doing that's cool and fun stuff overseas i need to get that actually uh into a full-time thing and then i end up doing this thing out here but here yeah. you are yeah here we are this is so cool um now i i wanted to ask you since you have a background in psychology um wh- what are the and i'm obviously i don't think gaming's bad for you but are there things that people that play games all the time need to watch out for or do you see things that make you concerned
1: um the thing i jive off that question Mm -hmm. um because because i'm you know previously a psychologist i don't want to misrepresent research i haven't read and stuff like that but the thing that i jive the most off your question is i get a lot of people who reach out to me and i'm like ask about going pro or becoming a commentator getting into esports and all these questions right and The thing I always say to people who are trying to be really aspirational about coming into esports, and it's very good to reach out to people who you respect and ask for their advice. That's a very good first step, is always have a plan B and always have perspective on kind of how exclusive the positions might be or or how good you have to be. Because, like, you know, obviously League of Legends has that kind of elo system all the way from like uh, iron, I guess it is now, but previously bronze to, to challenger, you know, and there'll be people who are like, much towards the middle or the middle top rather than the like 0.001% you have to be that kind of like the 10% who are like, Oh, I was thinking of just like moving to Korea and like playing solo queue for a while. You know, I'm 20 years old. and like, I'm going going to do this. I'm always like, I want to understand like, what are your other skills? Like what are your other interests? Like what the reality of you being able to bridge that gap is very, very close to zero. Like it's a few percentage points. Um, what will you do if this doesn't work and have you really thought it through? Um, And I think the same thing happens with streaming now because that's obviously a very attractive um, career for a lot of people in games. It's not quite the same as being a commentator, as being a professional streamer. And people sometimes only see the upsides of that and don't understand, again, the struggle. Like A lot of what you and I did is like the much more established idea of I want to be an actor in Hollywood, you know, like the percentage of people that fail is way higher than the percentage of people that succeed. Um, And you need a healthy amount of luck and you need the ability to support yourself while you're still grinding towards something. And a lot of people don't think about that. They just think about what the I just want to be ninja. I just want to be tasteless. And I always really heavily recommend having a clear plan B, a clear idea of how you're going to support yourself while you're aspiring towards something, and also a clear timeline. Like for me, I quit my job without a casting gig ready to go. I quit my because I just didn't want to do that anymore, and I knew if I was still trying to half become a caster, it just would never happen. So I said, okay, I'm going to give myself a year. I have savings from working this job for two and a half years. My parents are going to put me up, and they're enthusiastic or at least supportive of. Of trying to help out. If it doesn't happen by this date. I'm going to take a master's degree. In psychology. And fully pursue. That career. Um, Because there was stuff I loved about psychology. And stuff I didn't love. Same with everything right. Um, But if it doesn't happen by this date. It's just not going to happen. But at least I will always know. That I gave myself every opportunity. To make it happen. And that's the way I approached it. But I was also 20 how old was I at the time 26 you know like I, I had I was always someone who was a very questioning person like I fell into psychology because I was always a why did that person do that and why would he do that if I would never do that and why did she think that when I wouldn't have done that I was always a questioning person um, and a lot of people are very young trying to work out how to get in a career and being two ends focused rather than understanding the, the journey along the way and so There is definitely people who make unhealthy life decisions with the goal of becoming something established that I would definitely recommend, like, really think about it and and vet your process with people you respect, whether it's parents or friends, and understand what it takes to become the end product that seems so attractive at the first glance.
0: I I think it's a really, really intelligent thing to say, because I think a lot of people don't see the process, they just see the end result. Mm -hmm. Do you do you feel that social media? Because I feel like people are more like this now. Young people are than I, I think my generation, or I guess our generation, was. And I and I wonder if it's because of social media, if because people are showing success on their social media so often and not not generally sharing honest struggles or the hard work they do, um, that people have become an instant gratification culture or have become unappreciative of, of of actually having to grind and work
1: hard and build yourself? I think there's always, I, I can see the argument that social media in general when it comes to specifically kind of the the finished article people rather than the people aspiring. So like, you know, there's always a power relationship, right? Where you have the trendsetters or the, the completed articles and then a lot of fans or new people or young people trying to work out how to get there. I think when it comes to The established end, which would, I guess, in this case include you and I um, when it comes to esports casters, is those esports casters are probably only going to shine a light on things they're either paid to shine a light on or things they're proud of or, you know, they're going to be very selective about their show because they have to maintain an image. And so if you're a young person and all you see is that, then I, I can definitely understand how, that happens, right, Where that misalignment might happen because social media is hyper-focusing on the finished article stuff. Now, I don't necessarily think that happens with the fan base. Like, I think there's a lot of people who share vulnerable stuff, and I've shared vulnerable stuff from time to time, but yes, I, I can understand the lens there, and I-, I definitely think there's truth to it without necessarily being able to understand how much of that is causative, because, like, at the end of the day, like, when I was a kid, it was a very big push that, you can be whatever you want to be, you know? And I don't know if that's necessarily always the push every generation, because I'm from the generation I'm from, but it was, you know, in 90s Australia, very much like, you could be an astronaut, you could be a a doctor, you could be whatever you want to be. And like, I happen to come from a um, middle class, very supportive of education, loving family, and there's an argument that I had a higher propensity than most people to become that. But obviously there's also... Um, realities you know when it comes to IQ and stuff there's definitely genetic factors there like there's it's a, it's a half truth and I think that social media is a half truth as well and I do grapple nowadays like I'm sure you kind of grapple the same because I'm 32 you're what like 35 yeah so we're, we're cut from the same cloth it's a lot like we're boomers you know we're esports boomers tasteless I don't know yes. if you know this but everyone, know this. <laughs> everyone's using that recently and it's like My dad is a baby boomer. He was born in 1947. Same with my parents. Actually a baby boomer. Um, But we are eSports boomers because we were around in the eSports boom, which is like kind of 2012, 13, 14 in the West. Way early in Korea, but for English language. And so I'm good now, as I said, at understanding what I am. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that is me. Like, I'm not going to do the thing where I'm like, I'm super young and handsome. Like, I'm 32. (laughs) I am what I am. And by eSports standards, I'm old. Like, I think... We, average that is people,
0: weird though the, the esports. Yeah, I guess we e-sports are esports we're old. old. We're esports old, but like 30s is just not.
1: I don't not feel. old I don't feel old but, either. But yeah. the moment I'm casting, I'm I'm comfortable with being esports old. Sure. I mean, yeah. for example, we just had um, one of the greatest League of Legends players retire. Score, um, who had to retire to go to military service. He's the same age as Flash, um, so he's like 26, 27, um, Western age, and his nickname that I gave him, that we've used for a year and a half, is Old Man Score. Yeah, Because he was there, he's the only player that was still playing active, that played in the Invitational League of Legends tournament in 2012. And he was still there in 2019 till very recently. And he was old by the standards of the title. Because the people that started watching, you know, would have seen him for seven years, and no one even knew League of Legends would be sport for seven minutes, let alone seven years, right? So it's all relative. And, and we're old relative and that's fine. I I can, I can celebrate that. I can be, I, I feel young as, as an adult at 32 and, I, and I'm okay with being old as a, as an esports commentator at 32.
0: It, last question. Um, if you had to give advice then to somebody who is aspiring to, to get in a position like you've had, you've obviously had a very successful career. Um, and you're now making this next big step, uh, going on to hundred to, to, to be a general manager. Um, is there any advice you'd give to somebody on, on not not necessarily to be you, but to be a successful person um in esports or I guess in life in general?
1: Such a hard question. Um there's so many different ways. Or something that you live by. And I feel I like know. I I'd give a different answer every time, right? Like that's how it feels is but um I think just always have your eyes open and always be communicating with with people you respect and always be true to yourself and understand your strengths and weaknesses and, and work and understand that even if you work at some of them, you, you're, nev- you're probably never going to change. You're going to still going to have pretty similar kind of strengths. Like you can't necessarily turn a weakness into a strength even if you spend upteenth hours working on it. Um, and when it comes to esports, so much of your success is out of your control in terms of luck, but is actually in your control in terms of Building a brand. And people think that means like, oh, the WWE is a brand or Fox Sports is a brand. But it's your connections with people. And I always, as a rule, treat everyone I meet with respect, whether I'm introduced as this person is super important or this person is not important. I just generally treat people with respect. And esports is the one area, and I'm 100% certain you know this, where you'll meet underling at certain developer and then one minute later they're your boss in a different area and you're like wow that was a yeah. lot of career advancement to have quickly but it's a it's a fast moving industry so people are always moving and opportunities can take you in certain ways so I advise you to you know, make a lot of connection share what you're passionate in um, with your audience however big or small it is uh, and when it comes to like something like broadcast which I guess people will be interested in with me just make YouTube vods like make content because the moment that there's an open position for like a trainee caster or something or like a you know a, a cast that's definitely gonna get less attention than like a professional cast, the person who's got something a like YouTube vod to link is way way more gonna be considered than someone who's like oh i I, I watch a lot of these games and I think it's cool because it shows that you're invested, it shows that you've made the first step already. And if you're always thinking about, you know, making content, having things to show for yourself, whether it's, these are three people who will speak highly of me, or this is a curated YouTube channel of things that I'm proud of. That is what separates you from the people who just idly consider how sexy it would be to be ninja or tasteless or a, a pro player. And those are the things that I think that can become your brand is if you're known as a person who has multiple people that speak up for you and that reliably makes content and in general presents themselves well, that'll set you apart. And that's a good first step to get started in an opportunity.
0: Papa Smithy, thank you for being
1: on. Always and congratulations, man. Thank you. Good luck to you. I'm going to miss you when you go.
0: I'll be
1: back. Korea holds, you know, love in my heart. So Korea plus eSports means I'll be back before cool. too long, mate. Come, come visit us soon.
0: All right, guys, that does it for episode 12. Thanks so much for joining us. I really wish Papa Smithy uh, the best of luck in L.A. He's moving away from casting, something I don't know if I could do. I like casting so much, um, but I think he's going to succeed no matter what he does. Um, if you can support us on Patreon, if you enjoy what you're uh, listening to here, Uh, We want to keep going, but it can't be done without support from from listeners like you. So it's really appreciated. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash Podcast. A little bit goes a long way here. Is there anything else I should say? No, doing. I think think we did it. We'll be back again in two weeks. Guys, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, I'll be announcing the guests soon. We're going to get a lot more recordings in the tank here for the podcast. I love you guys. Be good to each other. Bye-bye. This podcast was produced by Melty and State. Artwork by Al Music by Mark Lentz. Um, I guess that's it. I love you guys. Bye bye. <laughs> we're always we're always expecting that. I'm always more I'm people. always shot. It's like I get yeah. done with the recording. and I go oh, I guess I'm done with the recording now. Credit um, time. All right, credit time. Um, anyways, guys, we'll see you again soon. Bye bye. <laughs>